This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Uh, countdown last four days of the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze. Uh, so we're going to be today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday is the last day of the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio. Um, I'm, I'm still hoping that uh, we'll see if the, the show, the 6 to 9 show, is carried on the Blaze Radio. I'm not sure what's going on uh, with the timing of that just yet, but I'll have updates for you as I find out more. But this is our last four days, team. Uh, so I'm going to repeatedly throughout this show and, and the next few days, while I have your, uh, I have your attention, ask that you please... Uh, find a way to join me in the Freedom Hut uh, at night. For some of you, it'll be during the day, actually. It'll be in drive time. If you're on the West Coast, it's 3 to 6. But it's 6 to 9 here on the East Coast. And uh, the way that I'm hoping you will all at least initially join would be if you if you don't have the iHeart Radio app, just go into the App Store on iTunes, and uh, or the App Store, rather, and download, uh, you can go into iTunes under podcasts. And then once you're there, you type in Buck Saxon with America. Now I know there's a few different shows, but when you click on Buck Saxon with America, now there should be a button that allows you to subscribe. And once you subscribe, uh, you will get the show every day. Uh, you get the show every day. And that's the best thing that can possibly happen for me. And, uh, it's very helpful by the way, for those of you who are, who've always asked like, Hey Buck, how can I help? Uh, all the all the bosses, everyone is very excited over at uh, iHeart Media or at Premier, which is the radio syndicator uh, that is within iHeart Media. They do Glenn Beck's show, uh, they do Rush Limbaugh's show, Sean Hannity's show, and my show. That's their talk lineup through the day. Uh, but the more that I can show them early support for the show, the better. And all I need from you to that end, other than if you wouldn't mind listening live. Because uh, that helps, obviously, um, and if you don't mind calling in every now and again, but downloading that podcast is uh, every week. The people that have taken a chance on me and that believe that I'll be able to build out this syndicated show into something really special and and uh, have a real voice in this country, 
uh, every week the numbers in the podcast get look at, looked at. So they've been going up uh, ever since we started the show. If they keep going up, it's just going to mean uh, good things for me. It'll mean more resources to do the kind of show that I, I want to do and some of the additional podcasts and history shows that I know I've been promising forever. It's just been a resource issue up to this point. The main resource problem being my time and energy. Uh, I have more, I, I'm going to have more uh, help in terms of people working with me on the new show. And uh, I'll have a, a full on, I have a full on studio to work out of instead of doing it from my apartment. So that is, uh, that is all I, I can ask you here is please, if you can listen on the iHeartRadio app, that's great too. Uh, and if you, obviously if I'm on a station in your area, please listen there. Uh, so excuse me for taking up a little of your time for my own purposes here, but it, uh, it really means a lot. And those of you who have been with me now for a while, and all, some of you all the way back to the Saturday show, which is now going on four, it's four years. Actually, I'm amazed when I thought it's been four years. Uh, if you would come with me on this next adventure, I, I'm, very po- I'm very confident this is going to be a big show and, and there'll be great things that come with it. So again, iTunes, if you don't have iTunes, you can always listen on uh, Stitcher.com. Type in Buck Sexton with America now. And also iHeartRadio app. I think it's under America's Talk on the iHeartRadio app. We are fixing that because even my own family has had trouble finding me. They're like, what is America's Talk and where are you? So we're fixing that. But uh, the best thing, like I said, subscribe to the podcast because then at least you'll be able to listen to me whenever you want. And if you can get in on the live show as well, 6 to 9 Eastern, that'd be great. So all of that said, let's talk a bit about what's going on in the news. Uh, We have... Uh, Preet Bharara, who is a very well-known uh, prosecutor, and I, I have to say, I, I have a, and I know there are a lot of very, very prominent politicians who are former prosecutors, and you can argue that it's great training, but it makes me uncomfortable that now prosecutors, especially federal prosecutors who have so much power, are openly seen as political beings, uh, I shouldn't say political beings, as political entities, meaning that they are uh, making decisions that have to do with how it looks for them instead of just how it looks for justice. And uh, Barrara made his name by going after some big uh, Wall Street fat cats and sending them away to some lengthy prison terms and using the techniques that are generally reserved for something more along the lines of like a mafia boss with wiretaps and really aggressive investigative techniques uh, to catch these guys. Because insider trading, is, it can be a little bit hard to prove, although all that really matters is can you convince a jury that somebody was doing insider trading? If the answer is yes, well, then that person's going to go to prison. Um, but to definitively prove it is certainly a difficult, uh, difficult, and there's even, there are legitimate gray areas with what's inside information versus what's just really good information that other people maybe could have had access to. It gets complicated pretty quickly. Um, but anyway, I, I just wanted to say that, uh, or I, I wanted to point out that there's this trend of very political federal prosecutors. And if you haven't seen the show, I, I would recommend it to you. There are a few things in it that really bother me. There's a show on Showtime called Billions, and it's about a hedge fund guy who is squaring off against a federal prosecutor. And the hedge fund guy is you know, worth billions of dollars and he's got his fund out in Connecticut, you know, Greenwich or Stanford or one of those places. Stanford, I always get that wrong. Uh, and you know they, they have this whole back and forth with these characters. And it's Paul Giamatti 
and also the red-haired guy, Adrian uh, Brody from um, uh, Homeland. I can't remember the guy's name, but they do they do a good job. Uh, and, you know, Paul Giamatti is a very talented actor. Uh, you know, the fact that he's kind of Hobbit-like has never held back his career. So I, I tip my hat to him. It's all based on skill and ability. So, you know. I mean, because he's not like a leading man, handsome kind of guy. You know, the other guy's really handsome, right? So Paul Giamatti's a little more, uh, you know, it's based on talent. So, which is good. Uh, but the problems I have with the show, they, you know, they, they introduce an element of, uh, there's like an S&M aspect to it, which is just completely unnecessary and out of left field. But anyway, the prosecutor, though, in the show, I think it's very well done that it, it, it does give you a sense that this is a, a political these are political decisions that are being made and how it looks to the public is often a driver for, you know, who gets prosecuted versus who gets a deal, you know, who gets the full weight of the federal government brought against them versus who's allowed to take something that's much, uh, you know, much less severe in terms of punishment. And so uh, I think billions is a pretty good example of that. And all these shows about the justice system, you know, law and order, dun, dun, you know, all that stuff. Uh, they they do this. They show you this aspect of it. But prosecutors have so much authority and so much discretion in this country, and they are, uh, you know, the, the first place that I, I think you would begin to really feel a tyrannical a tyrannical government would be in the actions in this country would be in the actions of prosecutors. Uh, that would be one of the first places because you know, the moment that all of a sudden there's no longer an expectation. The people given this authority are going to use it in a way that it benefits the public at large and that is bound to law, not to the whims of, of crowds and, and public opinion. Um, the moment that that's no longer the anchor and the Constitution and limited government is no longer, then what is not possible? And then you start to get in a really scary place. Anyway, I'm going a little bit deeper down that rabbit hole than I meant to, but that happens here on the show. So Barrara is, uh, was one of... Uh, over 40 uh, U.S. attorneys that were fired on, or they were asked to step down. Now that's a, you know, that's a more polite look. People say, "Why? What does it? What does it even matter?" Well, because it's it's an official. You can always say, "You know, I resigned. I resigned my post." That is a very clean cut way to say that you're done, but it wasn't anything that you did. Whereas if you get fired, even if you're fired for political reasons, you got to say, "Well, I got fired, right? I was terminated." Um, so. Uh, all, a lot of these U.S. attorneys uh, were were fired, and that's by the way that's nothing unusual. And I pointed this out on the uh, on Buck Sex in America now Friday after this news broke that there would be people who were trying so hard to make this seem bad that they would embarrass themselves, and, and sure enough, that happened uh, because Bill Clinton fired he had Janet Reno as the, as the Attorney General fire all the U.S. attorneys at once. I mean, it was just gone. And Obama uh, fired plenty of U.S. attorneys. And this has become normal. We had Andrew McCarthy on, who's among the former prosecutors uh, that I know, is you know, among my very favorite ones. And, uh, and I'm actually friends with a bunch, of, a bunch of current and former prosecutors, believe it or not. And, you know, he's, he was saying that, sure, we understand that there's, there are political decisions, but it's more about the priorities of the party and less about partisanship when it comes to prosecutors. I'm like Annie has a lot more experience. I mean, I have no experience. He had decades of experience as a prosecutor. I'm not sure I see it quite the same way though. I mean, as a, as a citizen and as somebody who 
understands how this game is played and, and how the whole system tend how the whole system functions. Uh, there's a reason why people want their senior law enforcement folks to be on their side and ideologically aligned with them. There's a reason why Obama was stacking the federal courts with as many Obama loyalists as he possibly could while he could, because this is a, uh, you know, the, the justice system is very important for certainly the implementation of policy, but also, as we all know, you know, things get really bad, things get rough. Uh, you want somebody who's more sympathetic to you ideologically to be making decisions about who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. Uh, you, you'll, you'll want that in, if, if it comes down to that. And certainly, given the conspiracies over Trump and Russia and all that that's going on, I think they're going to want U.S. attorneys. Because keep in mind, I mean, the whole surveillance on Trump issue, uh, yeah, that would have been at the top of DOJ, but a, a U.S. attorney could be involved in that too. Right? So a U.S. attorney could be involved in a process of doing a criminal warrant on somebody for perceived illegal international financial ties. I mean, that's, that's a federal prosecutor. That's how this works. So he may want to have his people in there. Anyway, Barrara is the one who is the most famous of these prosecutors, which is already also a problem for me, too. I don't like prosecutors that are holding themselves up as champions of the public good and, and that like the acclaim a little too much. People are always saying, oh, Barrara is so bipartisan. Whenever I hear that a public servant, especially a prosecutor, is so bipartisan, I go, oh, so he's a Democrat who's trying to head fake a bunch of Republicans. And I'm usually right. But Barrara uh, refused to accept the request to resign. He refused to accept that the administration, had, by the way, and the administration has full authority to tell him to resign. This is not a question. And so they, they fired him. And he tweeted out on Friday, um, trying to think of what exactly uh, he said here. Do I have it? I don't know if I have it. Um, anyway, he tweeted out, you know, I was just fired as U.S. Attorney uh, for Southern District of New York. And I was, anyway, um, I was looking at this, thinking to myself, a few things. First of all, this is a guy who could walk into, I would assume, most fancy law firms, uh, you know, big name law firms, and pull down a seven-figure salary starting day one uh, anywhere he wants to go. So it's not like he's going to be some hard luck story and, oh gosh, what happens to him now? A lot of people in government don't have that same luxury. A lot of people in government, their skills are not that tra uh, transferable. Look, I'll tell you um, that uh, a lot of people that I know that come out of the intelligence side of the house, yeah, they're smart, they're competent, they're patriots, they have held, had a lot of responsibility. Some of them have even shown real bravery and dedication and trustworthiness and judgment. Uh, but I had this whole process, and maybe I'll tell you a little bit about that today as part of story time with Buck. Uh, but as I went through that whole process, there was always this, well, but you don't have a, you don't have a transferable skill, really. As if being smart, analytic, trustworthy, knowledgeable, uh, brave, showing good judgment, all those aren't transferable skills in corporate America. I mean, but that, but that's what you come up against. People are, they're sifting through resumes and they're, they've got a lot of, a lot of people want any good job that's out there, as you know. Uh, but for lawyers, for government lawyers, they tend to be able to find, especially senior important ones, they tend to be able to find work in the private sector. But Barrara is going to be now cashing in on this because why and his story is just, it's just crap, by the way. It's, oh, well, they told me I could stay on. Yeah, they did. And now they said you can't. 
you serve at the, the, the phrase, the active, the, the important phrase here is at the pleasure of the president. It's not until the president has a really, really good reason to fire you. It's at the pleasure of the president. That's it. That's it. So if the president says you're out, you're out. You know, it's like being an at-will employee somewhere. I mean, you know, you're, they say, we don't need you anymore. You're done. You don't get to say, well, you know, I, you know, I, I had big plans here. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. So uh, he's going to turn this, though, of course, into a, a, martyr, a martyr moment for himself where he's going to claim that, oh, it was a, a political, this was a political thing. And, you know, and it, look, he, I'm not sure which way he takes this. There's the obvious path for Barrara where he makes, and, and by the way, the media seizing on this, you're probably like, Buck, why is this even a story? Media seizing on this because it, it looks, it's conflict with the Trump administration. And any conflict with the Trump administration is worthy of a lot of coverage in their minds and amplification and, you know, additional research. And, you know, they, they love that. They want to get into that really deeply. Uh, but I, I see a couple of paths here for this guy. One is, and this, this is a reminder of what I tell you all the time, that the left is very good at this. The left takes care of its own. Uh, I, I wish that I had the options as somebody in political journalism or political punditry or whatever I do. I wish that I had the options that somebody on the left has because there, there are so many places for them to go and the left also will take care of you. You know, you'll get speaking opportunities. You'll be put on the boards of companies. You'll be invited into any number of, of different lucrative opportunities. On the right, it's, oh, well, I'm glad he was a patriot and he stuck his neck out. And even if he gets blasted by the other side, you know, he'll figure it out. We, we don't take care of our, our side, especially in media. We don't take care of our people at all. We've got one channel uh, that's, uh, that's a full spectrum cable channel in a hundred million homes. You've got one channel, Fox, that's it. We, you don't have any channels that have coverage really beyond that. We've got a bunch of digital startup channels that are doing well and hopefully will continue to do really well. But uh, and then you go into the, well, what newspaper? You can work for the Wall Street Journal, I guess. Well, that's a crowded space. You know, you start to go down the line, and there's really not a lot of places for conservatives to go. I mean, if I were a liberal, oh my gosh, ABC, NBC, CBS, NPR, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times. I mean, you know, and Vox and and BuzzFeed, and you, know, you just go down the line. I'm not trying to make this a, a, a oh woe is me like media career is so hard moment. I'm just saying. It's, it's indicative of so much of how this game is played in our country. You know, you want, to, you want to be on the right and stand up for principle and try to be a hero, or you want to be on the left and get to live where you want to live, send your kids to private school if you're in New York City, and be able to, you know, do, it, do things your way. Um, so, Barara, um, well, you know what? i got to finish my thoughts on this uh, in a sec. Uh, so stay with me, team. Stay with me. I'll be uh, back right after this break. Let your voice be heard. Hello. 888-900-3393. On the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. 
When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Welcome back to the sponsor. This hour is silencershop.com. I've got a few more days to tell you about it, and so I want to make sure I really get the message, uh, hit the message home, and make sure I'm clear. Silencershop.com is the best place, simply the number one place for you to go to get a silencer for your firearm. There's some paperwork involved in that process. Nobody does that better than Silencershop. Nobody understands how to get it done efficiently and properly better than silencershop.com. So simply go on the site, you can read the testimonials, see all the different offerings that they have, and then at the end, you go through the process, you pick out your silencer, and it'll arrive at your local dealer. Your local dealer sets the price, makes the profit, and so you'll be supporting local business, as well as getting yourself pretty much the coolest accessory. I mean, optics are really cool too, but a silencer is right up there with just a fantastic accessory for your firearm. So uh, do check it out, team, silencershop.com, again, silencershop.com help make the world a quieter place. And I'll finish up my Barara thoughts, and then maybe I'll tell you about some story time in just a few seconds. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, team. Uh, I know we're in our last four days here together, and it does feel like with, with each passing segment here, it, it feels like I'm coming to the end of a, of a TV show that I have absolutely loved and I want I want to see I want to see it all through of course and I want to see what happens but I also don't want it to end that's how it feels for me right now uh, doing the at-home version of the Freedom Hut uh, like I said the show of course will continue on and I've got really exciting plans for it and I, I mean that and I've got uh, backup now with Premiere in New York to do all kinds of really exciting things I've got a studio. I can have people come in studio with me. I've got, you know, there's a whole, I've got, you know, help on the uh, audio side that's brand new. I mean, it's going to be great. So, uh, like I said, please do uh, pass that show around, uh, send it around to people, download it on iTunes, and it's Buck Sexton with America Now. Um, 
and I'll sometimes refer to it as the Buck Sexton Show, but Buck Sexton with America now is the official title. And I've got some other projects as well that I'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks. And to stay in touch with all things Team Buck, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is the best place to be, uh, best place to go for that. So, okay, I uh, I wanted to move on here to, uh, oh, no, sorry, uh, Preet Bharara for a second. So, I uh, packed Preet. So he said he made them fire him. He wouldn't just take the, the the request for resignation. So now he gets to just like the deputy. Uh, what was it? Yates was her name. The deputy, not to be confused with the magnificent Stephen Yates, whom I'm a big fan of. Is a great guy and a good friend. Um, but the Sally Yates, I believe, was her name. The uh, deputy attorney general, uh, or the acting attorney general, after being deputy attorney general. You know, if you stand up at Trump in any way, even if even if it's, if it's for five minutes and you risk nothing in doing so, you know, the left will treat you like you're some kind of conquering hero. And so, you know, here we are uh, with this guy, uh, Barrara, who is supposed to be this bipartisan pillar of uh, judicial or prosecutorial, I should say, uh, prosecutorial wisdom, and a slightly different take on this from our friends over at Reason.com. Barrara was the U.S. attorney who was involved in demanding that Reason.com, the website, which Matt uh, Matt Welch and uh, Catherine Mangu Ward and some of the other frequent guests we've had on the show, they have all been joining, uh, you know, on my show for a long time. Reason.com received a subpoena for comments from Barrara's office, and they had to comply with giving the IP addresses of those who left these comments. And the comments included things like uh, referring to the judge of the Silk Road, Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht, uh, the judge on that case. I don't know if you remember that case or not. This guy was involved in creating the Silk Road. I think he got like life in prison or 30 years. Or, I mean, he got this guy who created this eBay for illegal stuff, more or less. Um, he got annihilated. Uh, in the court. I mean, they gave him, I forget what the sentence was, but it was, I, I remember reading it being like, whoa. And so people were upset at that judge, at least libertarians were. And uh, now Silk Road, I think the defense there was, okay, he set up this platform, but he didn't sell anything illegal. So, you know, is it, why is he being, because yeah, it was used that way. Why is he being held accountable for, yeah, I think that was the defense. I don't know that much about the case it was a while ago. I've forgotten a lot about it and I can't remember every case. Um, I spend too much time as for a non-lawyer. I spend a lot of time reading legal cases. Uh, anyway, so they, uh, what's this guy's name? Barrara. He wanted the comments from reason.com and not only did he want the comments, but he also put a gag order prohibiting reason from discussing the matter. Um, and he, they weren't even allowed to, and I remember this because I had them, I had, I think it was Matt Welch on radio. They weren't even allowed to discuss the case or even say that there was a subpoena. Uh, I'm sorry, but the, you know that's the, the the power that a court takes upon itself to say that we can't even once once we've taken an action, you are in no way, shape, or form um, going to be you know going to be able to uh, uh, say anything about this is just crazy time. I mean, it really is uh, that they would take it upon themselves to do that is, is insane. So um, reason shows here that he's not the guy, he's not this you know this wonderful uh, cuddly great guy that he's made out to be. Uh, he used this gag order on Reason.com and for a really 
nonsense. So anyway, I have to say I'm I'm uh, I see this as a very clear effort to try and burnish his own brand, and I think Barrara is gonna make a run for office pretty soon. And I just I'm not somebody who gets very excited about prosecutors who want to turn into politicians. I know a lot of them do, and some of them have been great, and some of them not so great. A lot of them not so great. I mean, Rudy Giuliani was a good mayor, not a great presidential candidate. Chris Christie kind of fizzled out. There's a, I know there's a bunch, you know, Trey Gowdy's a former prosecutor, people like him. I mean, you know, I, I get it. Uh, but I kind of wish that prosecutors would not view their offices as stepping stones to elected office, but I guess that's just the way it is. Uh, so hey, Barrara is uh, expect to hear more about him and from him, and he's already done some stuff on Twitter that makes me think that he's going to be part of the anti-Trump uh, Democrat you know, opposition. Uh, I'm going to hit a break here, and I want to tell you some stories on the other side, so stay with me. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Freedom Mode. Sorry if I seemed to distract for a second there. Um, had something uh, had something pop up. So, where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, I was going to tell you some stories. Story time with Buck is one of the things that I've been doing these last few days. And I was thinking about this because whenever I talk about uh, the U.S. attorney and prosecutors, it reminds me of the time that I was at the uh, NYPD Intelligence Division, which I'm a little more free to talk about in general because it's not, my work there was not classified. It was law enforcement sensitive. Um, and in some cases there's stuff you really legally can't talk about, but generally I could talk about stuff. And, you know, there was, it was interesting. I, I had, I had decided that I wanted to take some time away. I'd been at the CIA for five years and I decided that I, I wanted to take some time for myself and be up in New York. Uh, my whole family's here, as many of you know. I've told you that a bunch of times before. And so I moved up to the city. <clears throat> and, of course, I uh, living in D.C., and D.C.'s gotten more expensive since since I lived there, considerably more expensive, from what I understand. But, uh, you know, living in D.C., I, um, got, I had forgotten how expensive Manhattan was. So I moved up here, and uh, initially, I mean, I, I lived in, a, in an apartment that, you know, was fine, uh, I actually got a good deal on it. I remember that, but I, I had very little money when I came back. I mean, I had savings that, you know, I had saw, I'd saved up some money for my time abroad, but in New York term, in New York terms, it was nothing. And I remember I was living in this uh, little, tiny little apartment, and it took me forever to figure out why this was. I thought I must have a neighbor who smoked cigars, but no, the previous occupant of the apartment before me had been a cigar or cigarette smoker. I couldn't even tell. Just this, this stale smell of tobacco was uh, all over the place. And um, I remember 
that it would come on sometimes and I couldn't really tell why. And then I figured out that it had, it had essentially caked itself in the heating system of this apartment. So whenever it was cold outside and the heat would come on, I moved in in September. So this was pretty, this happened pretty quickly. The room would smell very of, of just old tobacco, you know, just for, it had gotten into the heating system. And I mean, it really was overpoweringly strong. Um, but it was a, for, by New York terms, I mean, I don't even think you could, the average New York City one-bedroom apartment would be, I think, over twice uh, over twice what I was paying to live in this little place. And it was a few blocks away from the office. And it was in a cool little neighborhood. But I was working at the NYPD Intelligence Division then for a little while. And at first it seemed like, at first it seemed like pretty, pretty f- interesting, worthwhile stuff. Uh, and then I started to just realize more and more, I just... My problem with government work was that it's all based on time, meaning that you show up at a certain time, you leave at a certain time, you're there in between. If there's a lot to do, if there's nothing to do, it doesn't matter. It's just about you being a body in a chair that is supposed, or in a meeting or whatever, but you're supposed to be there. And it was very, it was, it was less rigid at the CIA. It was rigid and they always knew where you were. I mean, they always knew where you were and you, you know, you're badging in and, you know, but at the NYPD, you had to sign in. I call it the Harry Potter ledger. They had this big book. It was huge paper, uh, bound book. And you would have to find, and you'd sign in your name and your badge number and you you know, you do all this stuff. And they had a big clock there. And if you were three minutes late, you had to sign a separate sheet of paper and ex- explain the, if you were thir- if you were a minute late, I mean, if they saw you and you came in and you know you weren't there in your tour and you signed in late and you know it depended on how much the sergeant wanted to give you a hard time, but uh, they would make you sign this other sheet of paper. You had to bring your own pens, by the way. That they thought I thought that was a joke. My first week, I was like, "Come on, you're kidding, right?" You bring. I mean, I came from CIA where you didn't make a lot of money, but I but it was like we were Uncle Sam's favorite nephew in terms of the. You know, financing of the office and the activities we were doing. We, we, we were not lacking for uh, the funds to do our jobs at the CIA. That much I can say. Uh, I was amazed. It was post 9-11 CIA, only a few years post 9-11. I was amazed at how well funded we were. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, anyway, and then you get the NYPD, and it's the most elite part of the NYPD, the intelligence division. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I got to bring my own pens in? And you're signing things. I hadn't seen carbon paper uh, in a long time. You know, uh, carbon paper meaning it's. I only remember ever using it during freshman year biology, and in the lab we would use it for lab reports. You'd have a a, a copy made for your part, lab partner because you'd be writing the stuff. But it never looked good, and it, you couldn't read the copy, and you ended up redoing the whole thing anyway. So carbon paper was not a good technology. They had that at the NYPD. Carbon paper. You know, it was just. Uh, that was, that was one of the things that I still saw there. And I was like, this is, they had some systems we operated on. We're under, we're on DOS systems. So it was, you know, tab, tab, tab to move down the, and then you had to type in, you know, C dash backslash dash tab. It just, and to move this cursor around a screen. And it looked like I was, it looked like a, a, you know, the technology that would have been used to run a Pac-Man video game in like 1982 or something. So there was not, it was not a lead in that sense, but the, 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 I was really thinking at the time, this has got me on this whole rant, although I'll probably share more stories with you about this, 
really thinking about how I wanted to be in a place where my product mattered, my uh, the end result of my labor mattered much more than the my being in the place for the hours just because. And that was part of why I didn't apply to law school, although in retrospect, I think I would have been a much better lawyer than a businessman. So I applied to business school instead, also because law school is three-year, business school is two-year, and I was going to have to take out massive loans because, you know, white privilege, right? I mean, it's I, I get to take out, here I am, a young guy with no money who's served his country for five years, and uh, it's uh, hard as heck for me to get into any of these schools, and I'm I've uh, I've got friends of mine who are not white who are applying to some of these schools and they're being uh, recruited, showered with attention and affection, and we'd love to have you. And I'm like, well, that person has done less for their country, has had a less interesting career, and has lower grades and GMAT scores than I do. But they get like flown up to you know or flown over to Stanford for a special meeting with the dean. I'm not even like going to get an interview. Okay. You know, hashtag white privilege. That was an interesting, that was an interesting uh, learning experience. The uh, grad school application experience. I did end up getting into some places, uh, some very good places, but it it never. You know, I was the guy who was uh, liquidating his meager, but for me it was considerable uh, at the time. His four hundred one k to apply to grad school. You uh, know, I remember after applying to grad schools for my MBA program. Uh, and, and going to an ATM machine. And I think I had $1,200 in the bank and I had been working. It was one thing when I went down to DC and I had a couple thousand dollars in the bank too, when I moved out, you know, out of college, but I had been working at that point for five years. I had $1,200 in the bank. I always remember that. And I was like, yeah, hashtag kicking butt buck. You're going to be like Ebenezer Scrooge soon swimming around in a big vault of gold coins. Uh, so that all factored into my decision then. And then I just realized I didn't want to go to uh, that. I didn't want to be, whether it was at an investment bank or consulting firm or a law firm, I didn't want to be paid for just my time in the sense of being somewhere or being in a place. I want to be paid for how good I was at something and that it would be the work I put into it would be reflected in the product. And that was what drew me into media. Honestly, it was a huge part of the process of me thinking about taking this enormous leap that has got me now sitting here talking to you on radio and that's story time for now i'll have uh, i'll have more of course but uh, in the meantime uh team i'll be right back stay with me Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. What's up, team? Welcome uh, back to the Freedom Hut for hour two here on uh, Monday. Uh, great to have you with me. And uh, as you know, this is our last week. This is our last four days, actually. Thursday 
is the last day of the show. Thursday, March 16th will be the last day of the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, I will continue to do my new show, National syndicated, nationally syndicated uh, Buck Sexton with America Now. If you have not already, please go on iTunes, type in Buck Sexton with America Now, and hit subscribe. Uh, you can also uh, listen live on the iHeartRadio app, and uh, I really hope you will do so. And also uh, get ready for me to start posting on Facebook more about plans for the future, including uh, things that I'm going to be planning, and like uh, email newsletter and, and other things that are in the works, T-shirts coming back, things like that, fun stuff. So uh, please do uh, subscribe and also follow me at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. So, you know, Friday, and it, the audio of this is not great. Otherwise, I would play the audio for you. Uh, but Friday, there was this video that came out, and I tweeted it out. I think I posted on Facebook, too, of this very serious BBC interview and discussion uh, that was going on. And the, <laughs> the, the you know, this BBC said, oh, hello, sir. Can you tell us more about what's going on? And I think they were talking about the South Korean premier uh, facing being removed from office and facing criminal charges. Uh, it's you know, a serious news story, legitimately a, a serious news story. And if you haven't seen it, it's one of the best uh, TV clips, funny TV clips I've, I've ever seen. It was so cute and so funny at the same time. You've got this BBC interview. He's like, so tell me, what's, what do you think the next moves are here? And this guy's like, well, you know, it's going to be very intense and serious and uh, you know, this is a big political upheaval and, and he's, he's a professor, I think. And he's on this and he's doing a Skype hit, which, uh, is becoming increasingly common. I've done Skype hits. In fact, I'll be doing a Skype hit tomorrow for Tommy's show. So you can watch on the blaze TV. I'll be joining Tommy tomorrow. At least that's scheduled. It can always change, but, uh, hopefully I'll be doing that hit with Tommy tomorrow. And, uh, you know, Skype hit is, it's great because of the flexibility, but you know, you're also turning a camera on. And you're setting up a camera in a place where if you're in your home, you know, stuff happens. You know, people uh, come walking through in the background. Uh, this is now we're used to this also with some of these live TV hits that you may watch where someone will uh, come up behind the field reporter and say something funny or just be drunk and dumb or sometimes they even get belligerent and aggressive and curse or push the guy or girl. Uh, so we've all seen that. But with Skype hits, you know, you're in your home. And so whatever happens is, is what's happening around you. And this guy, he's doing this really serious interview. I, I implore you, if you have not seen this clip, you have to just type in, you know, BBC Skype interview into Google. And I think it'll, it'll probably pop up. Um, and the, the kids, okay, so a, a kid comes in, but a kid, maybe, maybe a three or a four year old but doesn't just walk into the into the shot behind him. And it's so nonchalant and funny, the whole thing. But the kid sort of, it's a little girl, and she must be, she's a toddler, but she kind of comes in with her, like, waving her arms, like like she's the star of the show. It is it is incredibly cute and hilarious, but it doesn't stop. And the, and the guy kind of push you know, moves her off to the side, and it doesn't stop there. It really continues on. And... He, uh, he then has his uh, other kid. I mean, and you couldn't have scripted this, and you can tell that they did. You couldn't have scripted this any better. So the one daughter comes in, waving her arms, you know, la-di-da-di-da, uh, and he's trying to move her out of the way. And then the other, uh, and here I am doing, doing radio with you, and I, I, you know, I just, my, my phone rang, right? So, you know, this is, 
this is what can happen. And the other kid, uh, the other kid comes in on a, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, on uh, a little like, I don't know what you call it, like this wheeled trolley thing. And, and the kid's even younger, a little toddler, and it comes wheeling into the room. And then the, uh, I, be I believe it's his wife, comes running in after them and is trying to shoo both of the kids out of the, uh, out of the shot. And, uh, and, and then once she gets them out, there's this moment where she kind of dives in and like goes low on the door because she does, she thinks she's out of the shop, but she's actually totally in it and is, and pulls the door shut. It is it is one of the funniest, best, most entertaining sequences on on and any you know haphazard TV shot I've ever seen. It's really cute. It's really funny, and it's gone totally viral. And everyone's talking. Everyone's talking about it over the weekend, and, and I was posting on Facebook. Others were too, and it's just great stuff. It really is. I mean, it is fantastic. Um, and it reminded me of a few things. First of all, I saw a little bit of people saying, you know, oh, well, it could have been, he could have been nicer to his daughter when she came in the shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, there's a part of me that wishes that in the, in the moment the guy had, you know, gone with it a little more. But, you know, he's a frazzle. He's trying to do a serious hit on the BBC. And, I, you know, I didn't have any problem with it. Happened, but I thought it was all just really funny. And I, and I do wish that we could all move past that, you know, nothing is allowed to be funny anymore. Everything is automatically a, a moment for political exposition. You know, everything becomes a moment to weigh in with our opinions. and all. No, it was really just funny. And it was funny in a way that we could all, it was just cute and it was a great sequence uh, of events. And it reminds me of some, you know, from doing live TV, of some of the things that, uh, that I've come across and dealt with. And one of my favorite and I don't know if this doesn't come across as funny to anybody else, but maybe it'd be funny when I tell you about it. Because, you know, this is Fireside Chats with Team Buck in our last few days here in the uh, noon Freedom Hunt. As I was saying, though, before, 6 to 9 Eastern, everybody, national syndication, iHeartRadio app. Please subscribe on iTunes to Buck Sexton with America Now. Uh, if you're listening to this, that's going to be the best way for us to continue hanging out. Uh, but anyway, where was I on this? The, the reality here is that uh, that I, sometimes when you're doing live TV, something happens or, you know, something will, something will happen and you will immediately uh, have to just deal with it on the fly. And uh, what you see is that uh, somebody will, will have to sort of roll with it. And, and a great example for me, something that I had to deal with once, was I was doing Judge Janine's show on Fox News. And Judge Janine's always been really cool to me. I like her, nice lady. And I'm doing Judge Janine's show. And sure enough, you know, she's uh, you know, she's wearing a dress and I'm in a suit. And for whatever reason, the set was was warm to begin with, which can happen, but also the way they had the spotlight set up on me, I'm now not just in a room that was probably and honestly, it was probably in the mid-70s. It felt like it was 74, 75 degrees, which doesn't sound that warm. But actually, if you're in a suit, that's that's warm. Um, and, and you had the spotlight on my face. And I was told, well, Buck, you're going to go first. Uh, you know, you're going to go first. And there will be, um, uh, what do you call it? There'll be, you know, you're, you're, she's going to do a quick mono, then you're going to come in. 
Well, the quick monologue turned into like a 10 minute long monologue, also bringing in another guest before me on remote, which is when the person appears from some other studio and they bring them in on a screen. And I'm sitting there in a suit and, you know, I'm trying to be cool. It's, you know, it's, you're always trying to be cool a little bit when you're on TV, cool as a cucumber. And I realize it's really hot here. And then I realize, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. And then I realize, okay, this isn't like a little bit. Like I'm now in full on, like the, the, the sweat is going to be, is going to be coming down my face. I'm going to be drenched in sweat. This is a live shot. So it's not like taped and I could say, Hey guys, I'm sorry, but we need to, or I need to step aside for a second or whatever. It's live TV, national TV. And I realized that within, and she's still doing the interview. And I realized sitting on set that I'm going to be drenched in sweat in a matter of like 90 seconds. You know, you know, you can feel it on your skin and it's about, it's just about to start and then it's to start coming down. And I'm, th- I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And sure enough, uh, she turns to me and I am right before she comes on and joins me, I am taking my hand and whipping sweat off my brow, like mopping my brow. And I'm trying to time it so that a maximum amount of sweat is taken up by my hand and I'm getting as much away from me as possible. And then I'm turning to her and doing the interview and I do that and I think, okay, good. Well, it looks, you know, and I already can tell my face is a little red and a little flush. I mean, it was way too hot, by the way. Even the control room at this time was like, fuck, we're sorry. It was with that spotlight on set and you sitting there in a suit, like it was just going to be, anybody would have been sweating. At least that's what maybe they told me to make me feel better because probably I was sweating too much. But the, uh, I will say I don't get nervous on TV and I don't get nervous on radio. So it's not that, it wasn't that. But the the sweat is, and then I had to try to time it because, okay, I got a little bit off, but it's going to keep coming down. And I don't want to be on national TV with my face dripping in sweat because no one's going to know, oh, it's really hot. They're just going to think that I'm a nervous wreck or something. And so they go to the shot where they turn to her and uh, they take me out of the shot for a second. and And I'm watching on a monitor behind her. And every time they go to her where you can just see Judge, the host, Judge Deneen, I am whipping sweat off my face off camera. So we're both on set and she can see me do this, but I'm having to like, I mean, and I'm like, wow, like I'm sending a stream of just gross sweat off my forehead offset as far as I can. And I managed to get through. I mean, you know, my parents noticed they're like, were you sweating a little bit? I was like, yeah, I managed to get through it without too much trouble. Um, but it, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was not easy uh, to do. I was, you know, because you go to a panic too, because now you're thinking, you got to keep in mind, it's not just like this alive. This is going to go up on the internet. I'm going to be on Mediaite. They're going to be like sweaty, sweaty mess on Fox News show turns into human puddle on TV. And, you know, I'm oh man, it's just, you just sit there and it's, eh. and then that, of course, that anxiety makes you sweat even more. So it just gets worse. Um, I'm telling you, it it, it sucks uh, when you're in that situation. It really does. I'm trying to think of some other. I mean, that was the worst. It happened to me once in a CNN uh, flash duty, they call it. That's when you see the person appear on screen who's clearly not next to the host. They go make you go into this little studio. I've actually tweeted, uh, shared on, on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Instagram too, by the way. Uh, Buck Sexton on Instagram. For those of you who are on Instagram, you can follow me there. Um, but I, I've, I've been in a flash studio where they... Uh, where it was too hot and, and there you start, but there they, they, they can control it and you're not on set 
and you usually, you know, it's usually going to be a short hit. So that's not as when you're on set though with the host and it was live, and that can be rough. The other thing that that I've had, this is much a uh, much smaller issue, but you know, you can have a molded earpiece when you do TV, which is I, I hugely recommend for any of you who are going to do ever do a TV hit. Which I don't know how many of you will do that, but because otherwise they put this little squiggly thing in your ear, and uh, it just for me it never really stays in there. And so then you have this weird feeling you'll be doing a TV hit. Maybe you're in the middle of an argument and you realize that it starts to slowly, this thing starts to slowly slide out of your ear and it can kind of tickle your eardrum a little bit. And it's actually almost made me laugh a little bit because it tickles and it's, 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 you know, slowly falling out of my ear and, and you're in the, you know, I could be in the middle of some argument. No, you know, Obama ruined the Syria policy and this thing will be coming out of my ear. And then eventually it just comes out entirely. And then you have this thing hanging off the uh, back of your collar by the side of your, your ear uh, that doesn't, you know, it, it, it's distracting. It doesn't look good for it to be there. And, oh man, I'm trying to think of other, uh, other things that have happened on live TV where I've been like, what? Um, definitely been in a situation back when I used to do red eye where somebody said something that I was like, oh, can you say that on TV? And, and that's a taped show, so uh, they, they, they tape it beforehand. And I remember being there like, uh, do I, like, you know, one of the things you always have to remember is sometimes you're there on set and someone says something and it's inappropriate, but it'll make you laugh. And I'm like, oh, oh like, did I laugh at the inappropriate thing? And then you're like, are they going to cut it out or not? So those are all, uh, those are all real things. Um, obviously, another thing you always have to watch out for is the, Putting, they put, they like to put a microphone on you before they bring you out for a lot of these shows, and so now you're you're sitting there, and maybe you have a mic on, maybe the person you're talking to has a mic on, and usually it's just set to the control room, and maybe they're not tuned in to hear it, but you've got a you've got a, a live mic on you, and I more than once I've been in a situation where someone's sitting there next to me, and I've got the mic on, and I'm like, hey man, I've got a mic on, and even if I tell them. And then they'll, they'll be sitting there. We'll sort of start chatting, and they'll say something, and I'm like, uh, "You know that I have a mic on, right? Like I wouldn't say that." Uh, so that happens all the t- that happens all the time too. I mean, the stuff that gets picked up by the microphones offset uh, is is pretty uh, pretty interesting. It can be pretty colorful stuff at times. But anyway, yeah, like I was saying, if you haven't seen that clip, it's one of the funniest, uh, cutest little TV news. Uh, I mean, people call it a blooper, I guess, but it's not, it's like, it's like too nice and funny to be a blooper even, but it's great, man. It's really, really worth seeing. Um, I had it up on Facebook, so you should check it out there. Uh, anyway, uh, and I'm trying to share some of the other live TV moments that I've had that have been, uh, particularly, you know, I'm trying to think that I have, I mean, you definitely sometimes, the other, the other like little things that annoy you is when you find out after you've done a hit and you think you did a good job. It's one of the reasons why my hair is shorter now all the time. Because a piece of hair can come down on your forehead and you won't necessarily know and you'll do a whole hit and you'll be sitting there thinking to yourself like, oh, you know, that went really well. And then afterwards you'll see a strand of hair that has migrated down and you're like, that's all I can see. And maybe that's a weird TV thing where people get so, where people who are on TV get so fixated on what other people are seeing. But it is easy in, in retrospect to look back on some of those moments and think to myself, wow, it's that's what people in airports are looking at. That guy with the weird strand of hair down on his forehead. So that's happened to me so many times. Um, I'm trying to think of other 
moments on TV. The Judge Jeanine thing was, I, I've never forgotten that. I mean, that was, I was in a total, that was like, I was, I could just see that, you know, it's just see all the mockery about being a sweaty, gross mess on the Judge Jeanine show. Um, other than that, I mean, I think it's uh, on the TV side so far, it's been pretty, pretty straightforward for me. Nothing, uh, nothing that's that exciting in, in the TV world of bloopers, but you know, I'm sure there will be team. It, it just happens. Especially when you're live, man. Any, anything, anything can happen. Oh, there was the one time I was on Megyn Kelly's show, and they, she was having a, she had a had a cold and was having a really tough time talking, and just uh, in the middle of in the middle of the show, it was clear to me that she was about to have a coughing fit and she wouldn't be able to talk, and and I'm like, uh, and they're telling me in my ear because you know, the control room can talk to you, you know, hey, like you know, don't don't stop, like keep keep talking. And I'm looking at her, and I actually finally at one point was just like, are you okay? Can I get you? And this was on live TV in front of 3 million people. I was like, are you okay? Can, can I get you something? Or, you know, because she was just, she was being a, a trooper about it. But, I mean, she was trying to stifle a cough, and I could see it. Like, her eyes were getting watery. And uh, and she, they had to go to commercial because she, she had a coughing fit, and she couldn't talk at all. And only I could see it because they put the cameras on me. So I'm sitting here, and I'm talking and talking, and I can see that she's about to have a total coughing fit. And... I don't want, you know, I don't want to be insensitive, but I don't know if I'm supposed to keep going. Anyway, that was pretty rough, too. Uh, it was funny. She was a great sport about it. All right, team, I'm going to hit a break. I'll be right back. Stay with me. Let your voice be heard. Hello. 888-900-3393. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, welcome back. Our sponsor this hour is silencershop.com. Silencer Shop is simply the best place, the number one place for you to go and get a silencer for your firearm. Silencer Shop has all the best brands in stock. They know what they're doing when it comes to getting the paperwork cleared for you. And once you're all good to go, I'm telling you, you're going to be so excited that you uh, have this accessory for your firearm. A silencer is a fantastic thing out of the range. It'll make you really happy to have it. So go through the process. Check out silencershop.com. They've got great customer service. They'll make the entire thing easy and seamless for you. And also you'll be supporting local business because your local dealer, well, you'll go pick it up. Um, Your local dealer sets the price and uh, gets the profit on it. So you should definitely check them out. Silencershop.com is the place to go. Again, that is silencershop.com. I'll make the world a quieter place and team, as I was saying, we'll be back uh, right after this break with a whole lot more. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, team. So, uh, speaking of, of things that uh, 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 annoy me and that I'm, I'm hoping that I will have a greater ability in the future to um, address and to tackle head-on, 
you may have seen that uh, Samantha B, who is not funny, and, and I, I don't, I'm not a hater. When someone is good at something, even if I don't like what their politics are or I don't like what they stand for, but if they have a real ability, uh, I will give, I will give credit for that. Right. So I'm not somebody who says, oh well, I don't like, uh, I don't like the politics of. You know, I mean, I was going to say Meryl Streep, although, you know, I think she's all, and she looks, she's a very good actress, but I don't think she's as amazing as everybody says she is. Uh, but I'm not going to pretend that Meryl Streep is a bad actress because I don't like her politics, right? She's a good, she's a very, very talented actress. And there are others that would fall into this category too. Uh, there are comedians that, look, Jon Stewart, I thought was um, often dishonest in what he did. I thought that it was destructive to political discourse that so many people believe that what he was doing when he was really at the top of his game at The Daily Show, was valid as a news source and as a, a part of uh, the dialogue in this country that was meant to illuminate difficult issues instead of just making a mockery of the other side constantly. But he was good at it. Uh, he did have a talent for propaganda dressed up as humor. And, and, he, and his, timing, it was, his timing as a comedian and, and some of the bits they did no, he had a big writing staff, and I, I get all that too, but some of the bits they did were clever, and he was wildly successful financially and otherwise because of that. So, I, and I, so I'm not somebody who goes, oh, so-and-so is terrible, you know, so-and-so has no, no talent, no ability whatsoever. I mean, no, you know, I'm, I'm aware, even some of the writers that, uh, that churn out stuff for the New Republic or the Atlantic or any number of these, you know, Vanity Fair, I'm not going to say they're bad writers. The New York Times, I'm not going to say they're bad writers, I just think that what they do sometimes is dishonest or wrong or, but they're, they're good writers. I mean, they're writing in the New York Times, writing in Vanity Fair. These are people that have a talent for writing. Okay. I mean, not all of them, but a good amount of them. So it's with that in mind that I say to you, well, two things. One, and I don't mean to be one of those guys, but Trevor Noah is not funny. I've seen a lot of his bits. He's just not funny. And he is somebody that I, I, they made him a, well, trying to make him a household name, and based on what I don't really know, and they've given him this huge platform, and all I know is he built, he built, he uh, bought, maybe he built it, I don't know, I don't think he had it designed. He bought a $10 million penthouse here in New York City. Uh, so, as I, I think I mentioned this already before, so he's getting paid a lot of money to do a very bad job on The Daily Show. Uh, but Samantha Bee is another person who's just not funny. She's just not funny. And I think a lot of what she does is mean-spirited, and it comes from that Daily Show school of propaganda that, you know, you're supposed to laugh at because, oh, isn't it all just funny? But no, actually, it's, it's mean. Uh, and a lot of what they do is mean, and it's dishonest. And because it's comedy, they're supposed to be able to get away with what they do. But, you know, just because something is comedy doesn't mean that, you know... This is where they go, oh, are you, into, are you into censorship? I'm not saying they don't have a legal right to do this. I'm just saying that we don't have to all sit around and pretend that it's funny when it's not and pretend that something's acceptable when it's not. So here's here's what got the headlines recently. Samantha B was at CPAC and they did this whole, uh, I guess it was a segment or a portion of a segment, a segment of a segment where they were, uh, they were talking about a quote, fashy, uh, it's also called a fashy, I believe. That's what it's, but they, she refers to it as Nazi hair. Fashy is another term for the alt-right haircut of short on the sides, long on top. I and mean, if you, you know, if you Google it, you'll see what I'm talking about. And it's only because this guy Richard Spencer, who's the alt-right 
boogeyman that the media, no one even knew who this guy was or cares who he is, but the media is obsessed with, oh, Richard Spencer, you know, the coming fascist, uh, you know, the coming dark night of fascism in America because of Richard Spencer. But they, she did this whole thing at CPAC of finding people. And in some cases, they're, I'll call them kids. They're not actually kids. They're young adults, but they're really young. And does a, a video of them making fun of their, quote, Nazi hair. And she did, and, and they put somebody on that video who has short hair because of his uh, chemotherapy treatment because he has stage four brain cancer. Now, okay, Samantha B and her show, Full Frontal, which is not funny. Uh, none of it is, I've seen a lot of it. I've never thought that this was funny. But they apologized. And I am in favor of accepting uh, accepting apologies when there's a good faith error made and you know no one is perfect and if the if the mistake is understandable or if the mistake is something that can happen if certainly if it could happen to any of us well then I feel like an apology is you know maybe even not, not even needed but in this case an apology is certainly needed and it was really really mean and I know they didn't know so that's how they're getting they're saying well you know we didn't know and there's a part of me that won't say well you know that they didn't know. What they did was really, I mean, they they're, they were mocking the haircut of a cancer patient. So that's pretty, that's a, about as low as low is going to get. But they didn't know the person had cancer. Okay. So now we're supposed to just move on from this because she apologized. Well, I don't, th I think the whole thing was nasty and mean-spirited. Uh, imagine for a second, let's just, let's just take this into another, let's take this into an analogy that I feel like we'll all understand and there'll be a lot of clarity on this very quickly. Imagine for a second, if uh, they went around with a camera at, uh, they went around with a camera at the Women's March and they did some bit about how the women at the Women's March look. I, I don't know what they'd pick out, but you pick out some flaw or some, characteristic that they think is in common to the women at the Women's March. And they made fun of the way women, just women who are trying to exercise their right to free speech, made fun of the way they look. Does anybody think that that would be considered okay at all? Uh, would anybody, you know, if, if there was a, let's say they did a whole sketch about how the women at the Women's March are man-haters, and then they picked out a bunch of, you know, unfortunate looking uh, or whatever, you know, some less than appealing females who are at this march out of a huge march and people would say well that's so sexist and wrong and you know and gross and I'd say yeah you, you shouldn't do that but they'd never do it nobody would ever nobody would ever think that's okay that's my point nobody would ever and they would never turn around and say oh well we were doing this thing that we thought was okay so give us a little leeway because we made one mistake with somebody no no they'd never be given that uh you know they'd never be given a pass or any of that okay so then I want to ask, with the Nazi haircut segment they were doing, I think Samantha B should apologize and her show should apologize to everybody that was in the segment, not just the stage four cancer patient, who was very gracious, by the way, about the whole thing and has showed us all, you know, what grace and, and dignity really are. Uh, but I think everybody in that segment deserves an apology. A Nazi haircut? So if you have short hair with, it's kind of long on the top, which also, uh, I believe Macklemore has worn in the past, Brad Pitt has had what would be considered or what could be called, based on a direct comparison, a you know, fashy or a Nazi haircut. Uh, of course, it's not a Nazi haircut. 
So I don't even know where that, this is kind of an urban legend that seems to have sprung up from the left because there are other people, how did, how did that, this would be like saying, any, you know, yeah, skinheads, sure, skinheads will have a shaved head. A lot of people have shaved heads. Being a skinhead doesn't mean, I mean, rather, sorry, being a, having a shaved head doesn't mean that you're a skinhead. We all know this, right? So you're just going to go around because people have a haircut that some people on the alt-right wear, and you're going to say that this is evidence of sympathies for Nazism or something, which is really what they're saying. It's a Nazi haircut. That's what she's calling it. Uh, the Nazis were the most horrific genocidal regime uh of the 20th century when it comes to racism and vile bigotry and just making these very blasé comparisons to Nazism is so destructive to discourse. But that I just think it's so interesting that, that Samantha B doesn't seem to care or doesn't seem to understand to care or just care to understand rather that calling somebody's haircut a Nazi haircut is really demeaning for anybody. And it, these are young kids who are at, I mean, young adults who are at CPAC. They don't deserve to be videotaped and, and said to have a Nazi haircut. That's not cool. That's not funny. It's not okay. So sure, she crossed the line too much for everybody by making fun of a cancer patient, and a cancer patient who has that haircut because of the cancer, obviously. But I think she crossed the line with all of it. And I'm not, and this is where the other left now, they love to throw around the term snowflake as if, as if there, there are no limits, right? You know, as if, as if any joke now that that is, that is mean spirited and nasty, uh, just because we say that they say that everything is offensive doesn't mean that they can turn around to us and say that nothing is offensive. No, they think everything is offensive unless it affects certain groups. Uh, and then when we say, well, hold on, you know, can't we say that? Aren't there some things that cross the line? They go, oh, you're a snowflake. Everything's so offensive to you. No, they're just, they're just lack, and, lack judgment and integrity and, and honesty and, and how they view these things. So uh, I just wanted to, to point out that the Samantha Bee apology, I, I am in favor of accepting public apologies when somebody, especially in the comedic sp in the space of comedy or commentary, crosses a line. Um, I am in favor of that, but I'm also in favor of looking at, you know, this was a segment that they cut, that they planned, that was taped, that they aired, that they really thought about. And yeah, the stage four cancer patient mockery was beyond the pale for anybody. And they didn't know about it, fine. But the whole segment wasn't fine. I think the whole segment was unacceptable. I think they owe an apology to everybody that they put in that thing. What they did was really wrong. It's really defamatory, honestly. So, you know, calling somebody, saying somebody has a Nazi haircut, I mean, you're insinuating that there's some weird Nazi sympathy that they have, and that's completely unacceptable and it's unfounded. It just shows. I mean, the, but the left is out of, you know, they're they're out of uh, of ideas. I mean, all they really can make fun of now is white racists in their minds. That that's what they always want to make. They want to make fun of white racists and Christians, and or believing Christians, traditionalist Christians, and white males, and women who are pro-life. Those are the only acceptable targets for mockery. Um. That's all that they, that's it after that. And, and they, you realize that's not really a lot. So this is why they're not funny. And they, and they don't focus on things that we could all laugh at together. You know, comedians don't view their role anymore as finding ways for all of us to have a moment of humor and to escape the anxiety and the stress and the pain of, you know, day to day. 
difficulties of day-to-day -day. pains a little intense but you know what i mean some of us have pain day-to-day they don't view that as their role anymore. No, their role is to just be mouthpieces for the Democrats and the left and to be the mockery brigade, you know, the, the propagandists of the left. It's really disgusting. And I, I'm sick of it. And I really hate, by the same, at the same time that they're such little quizlings for the progressives, you know, whether it's SNL or any number of these shows that just make fun of the right, make fun of conservatives, make fun of racists and racism. But it's not even real racism. It's make-believe racism that they often make fun of. Uh, and by the same, if I, if I turn around and I do a voice that is just an impersonation of somebody, well, I better be darn sure, uh, that it's a, you know, uh, it falls within certain not well-defined parameters of what's acceptable or else I'm going to get told, you know, I might get picketed and boycott and all kinds of trouble. It just really, it's so stifling. It's so annoying and, and it's really unfair. So I, I like to call this out. Look, I'm hoping, and with your help, I'll be able to do this. I'm hoping to make the Freedom Hut so big and such a, a voice that I can take on some of this stuff because I want to do more humor from the right. And I want to also call out the left's lack of... The left is really humorless most of the time. They do mockery, not comedy. There's a difference. There is a difference. And the bigger uh, the bigger the Freedom Hut becomes, I think the more uh, leeway I'll have to, one, you know, push the boundaries a little bit on the humor stuff, but also... To make very clear and to, and, to, and to really make the case that what they're doing on the left is not about being funny and it's not about comedy. It's, like I said, it's about a progressive agenda implemented through mockery and derision. And that's why, you know, for me, the, Sam, the Samantha B thing, it's just, that's, there's many more uh, that are doing the same stuff. And they should be called out on much more than just the most egregious examples. All right, team, I'm going to hit a break. Uh, I'll be back in just a few. Stay with me. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, team, welcome back. Uh, we have only a few days left with the uh, Buck Sexton show at noon. As you know, we've been going noon to two for about a month now. Uh, as part of my transition into just working on Buck Sexton with America now full time from six to nine Eastern. Uh, so I'm only going to have a few more days to hang out with you here uh, in the middle of the day. I really hope you'll join me on the new show. And uh, as I was saying before, best way to do that, well, if you can listen live, fantastic. If I'm on radio in your area, and by the way, we're hoping to get on more stations you know, soon. So keep an eye out for that. But to really keep in touch with everybody from the hut, uh, please follow, go to uh, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Click follow, and then I'll be able to get into your feed and tell you what's going on with the show, and we'll all be in touch that way. Uh, also, look for more from uh, BuckSexton.com going forward, uh, which is going to get ramped up here in a few weeks. And also, please go to iTunes and subscribe to Buck Sexton with America. Now, subscribing is best because then it just pops up in your feed. You don't have to always keep clicking subscribe, subscribe. If you miss three days of shows, you go, oh, I've got some time. I've got a long drive ahead. You can just uh, knock out those shows when you want, as you want. So uh, thank you as always for joining me today, team. I'll be with you the same time this week until Thursday or through Thursday. Uh, so until then, or until tomorrow, rather, as always, Shield Time. 
The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.